0: Today is August 21st, 2015, and we are joined today by two people from the APQC team. We have Serena Paul, the Executive Director of Advisory Services. and The discussion today will be facilitated by Holly Light-Hobeland, who is the Research Program Manager for our Process and Performance Management Group. Uh, so without that, we'll just dig right into the content. So Holly, over to you.
1: All right, thank you, Sarah, and uh, thank you, Serena, for uh, joining me and agreeing to have this conversation. Um, Serena has a unique perspective. She is not only um, part of the APQC family as our executive director for advisory services, but she was also, previous to this, a APQC client. Um, What we want to do today is kind of talk to Serena and find out some more information about her experience as an APQC client and on their process journey. So in her previous role at Transfield Services, Serena taught them some of ABQC's methodology and also used it during their process journey to improve their overall performance. Um, at this point in time, I kind of figure we just start diving into the questions. right? Serena, um, the first question we had was, what was the impetus for Transfield to kind of start its process journey?
2: Thanks, Holly. Um, Transfield had a, a unique story. Um, An Australian-based organisation with global reach, it was a real powerhouse in the country for many, many years. Um, About 15 years ago, Transfield decided that one of its growth strategies was to grow by acquisition. And when you grow by acquisition very quickly over a very short period of time, what you find is that you end up with a patchwork quilt, as I put it, of of process scattered around the organisation you start to lose consistency in application. And what that drives is inconsistent results for clients. So there was a huge um, need for Transfield to get its its back office to some extent in order um, to streamline its delivery and really get some efficiency back into the organisation. On top of that, we were about to embark on a a very large-scale SAP implementation And anybody who's been involved in an SAP implementation knows how heavily it relies on on company process. So in order to ensure that we got the return on our investment, we we really did have no choice but to do something about process very, very quickly. The The other issue for me in particular was that as the global executive responsible for knowledge management, process improvement and quality assurance, I understood very clearly the linkage between those three um, areas of our business. And I knew that if we didn't have some mechanism to classify all of our process, then I wouldn't be able to link that back into knowledge management. I wouldn't be able to harvest our learnings back into the quality management system and and into our knowledge base. So really, there were, were many, many reasons why the timing was right to do
1: something about that change. Thank you. Um, and it actually seems really familiar to things we've seen with a lot of other clients is a lot of them are going through, they had those disparate business units, and they decided to do kind of that strategic initiative to have the one transfield or the one insert company X. And a lot of ways to do that would be through that process standardization and then kind of implementing that with a standardized technology tool as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely.
1: So, when you guys were on this journey, what made you choose if you use PCF to help with your process
2: journey? Um, Well, Holly, I I guess having spent a good 12 years in consulting before I joined Transfield Services, I knew that creating our own version of a classification framework was not the right answer. And in an organization full of engineers, typically what they want to do is, is build their own. I knew better. I knew that there was something out there. I just didn't know what. So I set a small team to work to actually do some discovery around what sort of process classification frameworks existed. Um, and that's how we stumbled on APQC. We literally did stumble on APQC. Um, and the more we learned about the organization, the more we learned that we'd landed in the right place. Um, I reached out to ABQC, got some understanding around the PCF and very quickly decided that it was an investment worth making. We subsequent, subsequently took out membership um, because whilst process was our key driver at the time, you know, with my knowledge management hat on, I wanted to see whether there were any additional approaches that we hadn't deployed that might be useful. Um, but really the primary aim was... To, to use the classification framework and start to embed that into our organisation. The other thing for me was that the PCF worked very nicely in terms of a tool that was going to help me drive our operational excellence mandate. We were on that journey as well, really looking to to get to a place in two or three years' time where we could say our operational operational excellence journey is sound, we've got a roadmap delivery, we know what good looks like, and we know what that will look like when we get there. So there were several reasons that drove us to the PCF.
1: Um, Did you also then use the PCF for some of the benchmarking aspects of APQC, with the operational excellence, trying to figure out what excellence looked like?
2: Part of our SAP implementation, one of the things that we decided to do as an organization was to outsource IT activity that wasn't core to our business. That's not an uncommon occurrence, but, but what we needed to do was ensure that whatever we did, it was best practice, or at least close to best practice. So our IT group started to use um, APQC's benchmarking portal to start to look at what could look like and put in place some KPIs and some measures that our IT partner could use to gauge performance. So early days, by the time I left the organization, But my understanding is that they're using the benchmarking piece more and more now.
1: Right. A lot of it is, yeah, going into stages, kind of have to get everything designed, get an understanding of what the KPIs and measures are. And then next phase is really kind of honing and focusing on that performance aspect. Absolutely. Um, So what was your biggest challenge that you guys faced at Transfield when developing and establishing kind of that organized wide framework?
2: I think um, the biggest challenge is trying to understand the current state. You know, people think that doing an assessment of the current state is simple. Um, When you're a globally dispersed organisation that's grown through acquisition, it's really interesting, um, you know, when, when you're out there looking for, how many versions of this do we have? Um, and the protective nature of, of people around, this is my IP versus this is company IP. Now, some of that talks to knowledge management and the strategies we deployed there, but, if, but it was a big challenge. Um, really putting our arms around what process we had, understanding how that you know, was, was then placed in the PCF, um, removing duplication, identifying some of the gaps you know, there were whilst we were duplicating process in parts of the business we also had some gaping gaps um, in parts of our business nothing that was fundamentally stopping us from having an effective business but but had the potential to stop us further downstream so that was a challenge um, but but outside of that you know educating the masses, getting um, buy-in was, was pretty simple because we knew as an executive that this was something we needed to do. But really educating everybody, taking away the or demystifying the complexity of the PCF so that people could see that once we had done the hard work um, and got everything classified and cleaned up, we really had what I called a blueprint or an X-ray of the organisation in process form. And that's incredibly powerful. Thank
1: you. Um, Do you have any tips or techniques that you would suggest that other people use when they're trying to identify that current state, especially for a globally dispersed company?
2: The first thing I would say is identify your stakeholders, all of them, wherever they are. Educate them on the process that you're going to implement. Communicate, communicate, communicate. This is not a simple process. it's it's not a sprint either, it's certainly a marathon. And so keeping your stakeholders engaged, um, having them be part of building out the PCF is really, really critical for, for long-term success. It also helps to get people to buy in and rather than feeling like they had ownership of the IP, they finally had ownership of sections of the PCF and they were responsible for maintaining, supporting, improving and you know really being custodians or joint custodians of a very powerful asset that we developed for the organization. So I think they were probably the big things you know there was not a week that went by where we weren't linking back in with those stakeholders, um, checking in on their process, facilitating some of the workshops for them as they Debated which process was the right process and where did it actually fit in the framework? So I think being actively engaged while you're actually putting people to work is also a really key to success.
1: Thank you, and that actually kind of touches on the, that touches a lot on this next question we had, which was how do you engage employees throughout the process journey? It's like you had a lot of structured communications as well as interactive workshops so that they would get a sense of ownership. Um, were there any other techniques or tactics to use them?
2: I think the other thing for me was that I drew very quickly the connection between knowledge management, quality assurance and process. And so those three functions of the organisations, all of the communities of practice, for instance, all of the quality practitioners, all came together as part of that process. And we looked for common ground to drive this forward. And we came up with the concept of a global management system, which in the end was what we launched on the 1st of July last year. And it was actually the interface that went out to every or every employee in the organisation. It was the one and only portal that everybody would go to to find any knowledge, to find any process, to find any information around you know, some of our quality practices And so we brought the three aspects of the organisation together with one common interface, with a link back to our SAP system, Um, and that was really, really powerful because it wasn't a small group of people that were building our new frontier. It was actually the the collective organisation that was part of building this. And and that is incredibly powerful because people will buy into what they help build. Mm
1: Thank you. Uh, well, some groups we've seen use like tier tiered approaches. So for say like process categories and stuff the executive management team does the mapping on that aspect. And then they take it down to the SMEs on the front level. Is that kind of similar to what you guys did in your workshops?
2: Yes, certainly. We we created a very robust governance structure and, and that's something I would recommend that anybody embarking on a journey like this does. You really need to get your governance structure in place right up front. And, and by governance I don't mean audit or quality control. I mean, what are the rules? What are the rules that are going to govern how we're building this this new interface or you know this new structure, whatever it happens to be? Um, and, and so what we did was we created business process owners and business process leads. And we were very clear about what the job descriptions and the charters for those people were and how that played into the governance structure. And so those people were able to work with with their focus groups or subject matter expert groups to actually facilitate the activity that then was then, was then embedded into the PCF. Okay,
1: thanks. Um, you also talked a lot about one of the other questions we had, which was kind of how you integrated knowledge management and process management together at Transfield. Um, as far as accountability for those two groups, did the accountability for making sure that happened fall on one person for each process, or how did that work?
2: We had communities of practice in in the knowledge management sort of, I guess, arena. And for the most part, some of those people were also process owners or process leads or at least subject matter experts in those spaces. So what we did was make sure that the, the knowledge networks were connected in with the process owners and the process leads and the areas of the PCF where that knowledge network resided. And so what you had was this unique um, experience, it was almost like this ecosystem where um, if we were looking to, if we were harvesting lessons learned from a project that we'd executed for a client, the first thing we would do is come back into the the knowledge network and look at what lessons did we learn, how might that enrich the knowledge that we, we had available around that particular area of our practice. And then the next question was, okay, so how does this inform process? Um, if, there, if the answer was it does, then that triggered another series of another series of activities that went that talked to our governance around what is the process for amending process or improving process or changing process. Um, so we had this great ecosystem working which was governed by one structure around how we collected and harvested knowledge and then how that flowed on to all aspects of our business. In some cases, it flowed on to our work work safety practices. Um, Nearly always it touched our quality management system um, and often it touched our process. So, you know, to have that loop and to have those networks all talking together Means that you break down silos and you don't have pockets of excellence, but you start to build operational excellence across the global organization.
1: Right. Thank you. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of ways you're you're using your knowledge management processes as part of your process improvement processes, and kind of just putting all of this in the flow of how people do project work, day in and day out. make sure they do it. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a couple of other questions left, um, one of them is you talked you talked a little bit earlier um, going back to the whole getting information out of people and how some people ha- have a hard time distinguishing between their IP versus the organization's IP. Um, do you have any advice then for that kind of age old question, how do you get people over that kind of territorial behavior as far as knowledge goes?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I often tell the story about having to get on a plane and fly to Abu Dhabi to actually recover some IP that that one of our employees decided was was theirs and theirs alone. And the, the way to do it is to acknowledge that person's contribution in building that IP, and then make them the champion of that cause. The moment I said to this person, you know, the contribution you made to developing this aspect of our business is is, is Phenomenal and fundamental to our success moving forward, and then asked him to get involved in helping us to build out that aspect of our knowledge base, but also the PCF. And once I got him on board, it was really interesting. The number of other people that followed suit, um, and so I would say go out there and find. You know, your biggest your biggest champions are often your biggest resistors. So. Find those resistors, make them your champions, make them feel like they've been part of, you know, building the history, but also, more importantly, building the future. And it's it's a very, very powerful technique, and it does work. It certainly worked for us.
1: It sounds like you also then kind of change the nature of, again, knowledge hoarding and all that typically goes back to a sense of power. So you're able to change that from the power being about owning and having control over that IP as to then being the expert and facilitating the IP
2: absolutely and you know one of the reasons why I stopped calling knowledge management knowledge management in our organization was to, to dispense with the idea that knowledge is power when you hold it exclusively mm-hmm. we gave a lot of thought to it and we changed the name of the function to knowledge sharing and collaboration and our mantra was that knowledge isn't power until it's shared. You know, when you've got an ageing workforce and you're looking about developing a sustainable organisation, that organisation needs to live on well beyond the, you know, the employment of any individual. Um, so to have, you know, a half a dozen people that hold all of the knowledge in an organisation of 28,000 people is just unacceptable. So, you know, we've got to have. Knowledge sharing and collaboration, so that the organisation goes on to be bigger and stronger, and so that we can, you know, continue to return uh, to provide returns on our investment for our stakeholders, for our clients, and for our people. I mean, nobody wants to work in an environment where you're so frustrated because you can't find the information you need to do your job. How easy would it be if you could just? You know, go to a portal or pick up a phone and call somebody in your, in your network to get something done and get it done, you know, very, very quickly. I often tell um, a story about, you know, how this translated in, into reality. We had a situation where we had a, a group of one of our big project teams working in um, doing maintenance work in an oil refinery for one of our clients. And um, typically, you know, when you're working, maintaining somebody else's assets, every day that an asset is down, you're burning money, and you're burning the client's money. So being able to turn maintenance around very quickly on a client's assets was really key to us. And it does give you um, market edge. If you can do that well, and you can do that well every single time, consistently, in other words, um, you will have the edge on your competitors. So we had a a team working at a particular refinery and they opened up, they shut down that asset, they opened it up to see what was wrong and what they found was a piece of pipe um, in this, this particular asset that was corroded. So what they needed to do was cut that piece of pipe and replace it with a clean piece of pipe, seal it up and start the asset up again. When they opened the asset and removed this piece of pipe, they found a seal that nobody had seen before. In other words, this is new to us, we actually don't know how to replace this seal effectively. So they took a photo of it and they blasted that photo out with a simple message to the entire network. Has anybody seen this type of seal before? What information can you send us about how to restore this seal effectively? Using some of our social media and our networks, that whole loop took about four hours, and that project team was able to then source a new seal and replace the seal, and we had that client's asset back in operation within 24 hours. So that is the power of having knowledge shared throughout the organization in a very agile way to serve your clients. And, and you know, that's, that's compelling edge stuff.
1: Right. And well, it seems like a lot of that, I mean, being able to kind of get that amount of competitive advantage from this is definitely the value, but to be able to get to that point seems like it's a very large culture shift for most organizations. Do you have any advice then on kind of stepping stones or ways specifically to kind of shift the culture? You
2: know, there's a whole, that's that's a whole separate discussion, I guess, but suffice to say that, that we were doing this at the same time, we were doing this making this change at the same time as the organisation was having a good hard look at itself and saying, you know, what needs to change to serve us better in the future? What does the next horizon of our organisation look like? And what are the change management strategies that we've got to deploy, both from a practical perspective as well as a cultural perspective to ensure that we get there? And so we, we, we actually um, did a lot of work um, really embedding the culture change right throughout our organization. Um, every person in the organization, from the executive down, was put through a series of approaches really to start to shape people's thinking or reshape people's thinking. And it was all about driving sustainability, driving a culture that was very much around you know being agile and process driven and and being able to, you know, be the first to market and provide a consistent level of service to our clients regardless of what industry they operated in. So that, you know, that was happening alongside the the work effort in this space. And I think without having those approaches running in parallel, uh, a lot of the changes we were making at the same time would not have been successful. So I guess my advice to anybody is, don't just assume that you can, you know, start get up one morning and say, you know, today I'm going to change the world without thinking about what those approaches to support that activity will be. You've got to, you you know, when you're looking at process change, you've got to look at culture change because at the end of the day, you're you're actually building a new organisation that's got to start to behave and manage and work differently in order to be successful.
1: Thank you. I mean, we probably have another complete conversation then about whole effects of culture change and do's and don'ts and best practices, so maybe that can be our next conversation. Um, that was the last of the, conversation, uh, the questions I had. Um, I just wanted one closing question for you is, are there any additional advice that you give organizations just kicking off their process journey?
2: Um, I guess I would say, what is the business problem you're trying to solve? be very, very clear about why you're embarking on this journey and, and what you want to achieve. It's a bit like anything. You know, I, I've, I've always put my client hat on when I'm sitting in my role as executive director of advisory services. And when I speak to other clients and they talk to me about you know wanting to embark on benchmarking or wanting to embark on you know, a process change or, or whatever it happens to be, the first question I'll ask them is, why? What are you trying to achieve? You need to understand what the end game looks like before you start on the journey. Otherwise all you're doing is, you know, tackling a number of approaches with no real end game in mind. And I think having a vision of the future will help you to chart that course. So that would be my advice. Be clear about what you're trying to achieve with whatever change you're embarking on.
1: Because right, if you start off without having a solid strategy, you have nothing you can communicate about effectively. You don't have any direction. You can't get resources from the top. And then you can't communicate to the bottom how this is going to affect their lives. So automatically you get organizational resistance, and it's kind of domino effects from there.
2: You bet. And the other thing is you're not going to get budget unless you're clear about what it is that you're trying to change. So if you want to, you know, you've got to have a compelling case for change. And, And that compelling case for change will actually give you the, I guess, the kudos to go and chase the budget, to chase the resources, and to prepare the organization for that change.
1: Well, um, thank you. This has been a great conversation of us, and I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy these um, insights. And um, hopefully you guys will all join us for the next podcast when we get this scheduled.
2: Thanks, Holly.
0: Thanks, thanks. Serena. Um, thanks to both you, um, Holly and Serena, of course. Um, for everybody listening, if you have any questions that you want to um, talk to Holly or Serena about, you could always reach them directly by their email. Um, Serena's email is s p a u l at a p q c org, and Holly's is h l y k e h o. G-L-A-N-D, it's a long one, at APQC.org. Um, and then if you want some additional information on APQC's Process Classification Framework, or the PCF that they've been talking about during this recording, uh, you can visit our website at www.apqc.org. Um, and then if you want to go straight to the PCF page, you can do backslash PCF, and that'll take you directly there. Um, so I think that about covers it today. Again, I really appreciate both of your time. Um, And like Holly said, hopefully you turn in for the next podcast. Thanks and have a great day.